Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, the future of work is a customer experience challenge and hitting the gas pedal on hiring across government. It's Wednesday, November 2nd, 2022. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. Contract protests are down 12% from last year, according to new data from the Government Accountability Office. GAO took 1,658 cases in fiscal 2022. The agency says that's down from 1,897 cases in fiscal 2021. Army Human Resources Command is using artificial intelligence to identify technical talent. Lieutenant Colonel Kristen Salling says her command's looking for, quote, the markers for people looking to be recruited into this workforce. Salling says another AI use case the Army's using is a retention prediction model. You can read more about these stories and lots of other news at fedscoop.com. Agencies across government are working on plans for the future of work in the federal government. The Office of Personnel Management is coordinating those plans and offering resources for building them. Kieran Ahuja is director of OPM at ACT-IAC's ELC 2022. She says the customer experience concept should apply to the future of work. You know, we talked a lot this morning and yesterday about really the importance around customer service delivery uh, and how that is so essential You know, I do believe this conference is a perfect opportunity to discuss some of the challenges we all face when it comes to the future of work and our workforce, when it comes to recruitment and employee engagement. The shifts and changes we see in the overall workforce often show up in the tech sector years ahead of everyone else. And without people in the right seats, none of this is possible, none of it. So in many ways, we know that tech has revolutionized our lives. Um, I was thinking about the conversation yesterday with the wonderful women leaders up here and all of them reminiscing about when they started and what was like, what was the IT kind of configuration in government at that time and then um, what, what, what we're seeing now. So my version of this, when I think about my growth in, uh, in this space is that really my generation was really born in the analog world. I remember a time when maps were just on paper, right? Um, that the cool thing in college was to have pagers. No, like I feel like that was the thing in Atlanta, Georgia. You know, we had pagers and I was always waiting for my boyfriend to page me and be like, why has he not paged me? You know, I'm out and about. So, and then also, the, you know, the revolutionary thing was like email um, when I came out of law school, so I'm like totally dating myself. But on the other hand, uh, and this is what I want to talk about a little bit, millennials and Gen Z are projected to make up three quarters of our workforce by 2025. And they were born into a digital age and are completely fluent in um, most of the technology we use. So this has huge implications for any employer and the federal government is no exception, especially because our workforce takes on nearly every challenge facing our country. We've talked a lot about, and I know you, you are certainly familiar with these conversations around uh, uh, a workforce in the federal government especially that is on the cusp and eligible to retire, um, but I don't know how familiar you are with this statistic. 
that less than 7% of the federal workforce is under the age of 30. And so what we need to be thinking about is how we are attracting the next generation of leaders into federal careers. We need to understand and appreciate the unique skill sets they offer and how to manage those talents. And we need to do this while continuing to train and upskill our current workforce. So given these challenges, the path forward that I see is really about both retention and recruitment. And I do see this particular se sector, like I said, we, I do see in this sector oftentimes where we're seeing kind of trends and also potential challenges that then bleed into other sectors. But here, you know, this, uh, my remarks today are a little bit of like a call to action um, and actually a little bit of homework. So in thinking about what the combination of recruitment and retention mean, I think they both require us to understand what attracts people to public service and why they want to stay for a while or why they want to move in and out in government and how do we make that a, a bit more simple and seamless. Uh, you know, I think it's so interesting when we hear, oftentimes we heard it from our amazing leaders yesterday, we take a lot of pride in how long we have served in government, the 30 years, the 40 years, and that is exceptional. I, I do think we are going to be moving away from those type of stories as, as wonderful as they are to hear. Um, and so how do we adapt to this new environment? I think first we have to make a difference, and I know this goes without saying. We have to first you know, want to attract people who do want to make that difference. They want to be a part of something bigger and they want to see their impact. Uh, this is a bit of the impatience of the millennials and the Gen Z. They want to see their impact in months and not in years. Um, they also want to feel like they uh, are a part of something, uh, of course, meaningful. Um, I think this is a part of what it means to uh, build trust, build back trust in government, the faith in government that I think we all have to do good. I think. Another piece of this is they want to build a better life for themselves and their family. And I think in a post-pandemic environment, that also means how we are thinking about um, workplace flexibilities. And the kind of work environment um, that you know, we know is gonna be so critically important for both our uh, financial and our emotional needs as, um, as individuals. So the recruitment goal of OPM should be connected to those people who are ready to raise their hand and serve um, for the thousands of jobs that are available from all backgrounds. So attracting early career talent is a priority for me and a priority for our President's Management Council. It is a central part of our President's Management Agenda. You know, I'll say a little bit, we talked earlier about the President's Management Agenda. It is. Uh, you heard quite a bit about the second focus, which is on customer service delivery. The first priority listed that was of resounding uh, approval and acceptance from the entire President's Management Council was to strengthen and empower the federal workforce. And I think more than ever coming out of this pandemic, being in the midst of the pandemic when we were creating this PMA, we know that we cannot do what we seek to do without the people, without the right people in the right seats. So let me ask you, a show of hands, and I know we are, we're gonna be honoring different groups here. 
How many people in this room began their career through an internship? I can't tell, it's like such a big audience and you're really dark out there. I feel like, I don't know, was that 50%, maybe less? Okay, so, you know, I think what's interesting here is in the federal government, we've actually lost ground in bringing in early career talent, especially through internships. Our numbers have plummeted by some measures, and in some cases, the data, we're not able to fully assess where we are. We need early career talent in every function of our organizations, and we need to focus on building the bench that is purposeful and strategic for the long term. A big part of this, and I am talking to my federal colleagues here and those of you who are supporting the work that we're trying to do in these agencies, we have got to be purposeful when we think about workforce planning. We have got to be thinking about every part of the bench, every segment in our effort, um, from nuts to bolts, by, thinking, by doing that strategic planning. So in my opinion, internships in particular are great. They help you gain the experience in a federal agency and help you get your foot in the door to start a federal career. And I know we heard about many of those stories. I can't, I was thinking, Maria, I don't know how many times I heard someone saying, you know, how old they, are, how old they were when they started in their career, um, the opportunity they had at a very young age. So right now, we are working with federal agencies to bolster these numbers. In our FY23 passback, we asked agencies to estimate their numbers of interns and then, we then, and then we then put out a goal that we want to employ 35,000 interns across the government. In addition, we're going to be issuing guidance from OPM and OMB very soon that will encourage agencies, and I, this should not be novel, but to actually pay your interns. Yes. Enough of the DC free labor. Um, the free labor market in DC, I will tell you that I would never have been able to work in DC without a paid internship. And a part of this is, yes, paying uh, interns, creating a meaningful experience um, for that individual. Um, I've spent some time with some of your leaders talking about the importance of what it means when you bring someone in, but also setting them up for success and the experience that they have, and then what's the roadmap for them as they move, hopefully, you know, uh, stay in a more permanent position in the federal government and move through. But here's another piece of this, um, and this will be a thread throughout my speech, is that this is a part of the president's commitment to diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility, to ensure that federal opportunities are accessible to anyone who seeks them, no matter their socio socioeconomic status. I will tell you, and this is a small piece of this, the White House no longer will take interns unless they pay them not will take them, they'll no longer like have interns without paying them. Um, and, which meant for a minute we didn't have interns. <laughs> um, probably not a useful thing, but you know, uh, you know, it was really about right-sizing the ship. Um, you know, I think a part of any seamless customer service delivery, we talked a lot about this and a lot of great ways from an IT perspective that we need that technology. But you know, we need all segments of society sitting around that room talking about the problems and challenges. Um, and from that community's perspective, what is going to be most useful and most helpful? And that is a part of what we think about with early career talent. Like I, when I talk about early career talent, it's not just 
I talked about Gen Z and millennials, yes, but as folks who are thinking about you know, another stage in their career, have gone back to school, um, or you know, uh, uh, found other ways to, uh, to build their skills in another type of job. Um, but I will say this, you know, if you look at the demographics, if you look at the census, you know, the younger generation is a more diverse group of individuals. We have to have that representation um, in our organizations. So last year as well, OPM released two new hire authorities, direct hire. Direct hire is sort of like a lovely word in government, I know, coming from OPM, and so we love our direct hire authority. But this is a way, actually, that agencies can bring in talented people. Um, they can use them by actually going on campus and recruiting directly. So if you are uh, you know, in your agency, it's something you should be using, because actually we need you to use it in order to go back to Congress and say that we need more. So I really encourage those of you who are in your organizations to tell your Chicos about these authorities. These authorities are the post-secondary hiring authority and our college graduate hiring authority, which will allow federal agencies to bring in new talent. It allows us to employ someone who's working their way through school um, at a GS-11 making 72,000 a year. So in many ways, it really is a pathway to the middle class. And listen, I'll, I'll mention this as um, just the last piece of this, that there's no dearth of interest of having individuals early in their career come into the federal government. We just have to figure out how to make sure they can land. We just closed out our application process for the Presidential Management Fellowship Program. It's a two-year fellowship program um, for graduate students. We had a record number of 10,000 applications. Um, that includes cyber, IT, like so many different fields um, of people who are ready to come into government and serve. The US Digital Corps, as you know, got thousands of applications for 38 positions in their inaugural class. So we're exploring lots of different ways um, to bring in early career professionals about how they should, you know, how they can learn about these federal opportunities and encouraging agencies around the recruitment, really building their recruitment functions in their agencies. We're also working to really expand who we're talking to, from HBCUs, Spelman My Alma Mater, MSIs, community colleges, trade schools, tribal communities, and so much more. And the last thing I'll mention is, you know, we have a major investment happening in our agencies. So for those of you who are working in your agencies, there are resources tied to the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law, to the CHIPS Act, to the PACT Act, to the Inflation Reduction Act. These are resources our agencies haven't seen in decades. So that's my pitch on early career talent. Let me share a couple of other areas with you where we're making some big headway. Right now, we're doing a huge pivot in the government to skills-based hiring. Again, let me go back to where we saw all signs from IT about, uh, um, in the cyber sector, about what we needed to do to ensure to, to, br to bring in the kind of talent that we needed. Okay, here's another question I have. I don't know how well I'll do in this audience. Okay, how many people in this room just have a one-page resume? Nobody, right? And those of you who do, I want to talk to you later just to make sure, like, how you're doing that. But I guess my point is, um, for far too long, well, first of all, I want to say, you know, there are very few hands because, one, we know that one page, except the one gentleman back at the table over there, can capture all their skill sets on one page, right? 
And so for far too long, the federal government has prioritized education-based hiring. We took all the skills and talent a person can acquire and basically narrowed it to an associate's, bachelor's, or master's degree. And so the possibility, um, and even those who have PhDs, we know that that can, can't fully reflect all the skill sets or the full skill sets, skill sets a candidate brings to the table. And possibly no field highlights this, this uh, disparity better than tech. Um, we think about how many expert coders have never graduated from college, how many people have built apps and started businesses with no formal education, and how many people with diverse backgrounds um, who haven't had the opportunity to go to college but can gain those skills in many different ways. So this past May, we, OPM issued a new guidance, in guidance ensuring, encouraging a shift in hiring, moving away from predominantly an education-based uh, assessment to skills-based hiring. And we're really looking to IT, um, which has been doing this in the past, to really help us expand this into the future. We're expecting agencies to implement these changes going forward, and one way to achieve this is to utilize online assessments that are crafted by SMEs and the skill sets needed for those positions. I'm proud to say at OPM that 50% of our positions utilize some form of an online assessment tool that is focused on the skills required for the jobs and moving away from what we call in government. I always found this interesting, um, and I don't want to offend anyone who used this and got into government, but I always find it when we have this self-assessment questionnaire where you get to decide whether you're qualified for this job. <laughs> and we're like, great, we're glad, we're glad you know you're qualified. And so you come on, you know, that's one part of of the minimum quals that we call um, in government. We want to be able to find multiple ways that we can determine who's the most talented, most qualified. So we're going back to agencies right now to ask them to look at every position description and ask if a college degree or higher is actually required for this position. As you know, this will expand our talent pools and give us an opportunity to leverage the federal government's footprint more so than we have in the past. Right now, the federal government, our footprint is 85% outside of Washington, D.C. 85, I mean, most of federal employees are outside of Washington, D.C. And I'll mention to you, through the implementation of the bipartisan infrastructure law, uh, which is now spurring repairs of 65,000 mile, 65, miles of roads and 1,500 bridges just this year alone, and expanding our broadband access across the country, we have to hire, and we're helping, to hire thousands of employees. We are piloting innovation in hiring that will further bolster the importance of these skill sets through pooled hiring and shared certs. That means we are taking, let's say, a position description for, uh, for an HR specialist, for a contract specialist, for an IT specialist, and we're hiring 50, 100, 100 people, 150 people off of this one cert. So we're trying to really maximize this, leverage kind of, you know, the buying, buying the hiring power in federal government, um, and being able to do this among multiple agencies. And we're using data visualization in order to measure time to hire, so really trying to improve that whole process. So we seek to leverage the size of government um, in our hiring efforts going forward. 
and frankly making it something that we can do for every single position. Right now, OPM is also expanding our capacity with a new office that we plan to launch that will be focused on federal talent and innovation and really proliferating these best practices across the federal government. So in addition to skills-based hiring and new authorities, I do want to talk to you about a little bit of the elephant in the room, which is pay for the federal government. So we just released the government-wide summary of the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey for 2022. Overall, though employee engagement remains steady, our global satisfaction score dropped which is tied to whether an employee would recommend their organization. The biggest driver in that drop was not job or organizational satisfaction, it was pay satisfaction. It dropped for by about five points across government. The common thread in federal hiring is that people entering government are mission-driven and want to serve. And here, of course, I know I'm slightly unbiased. I think we have an advantage over the private sector um, that federal government wins on mission every single time. But the irony is, is that we aren't just competing with the private sector, oftentimes we are competing with ourselves. So I know many of you all know that last year DHS unveiled a new cyber talent management system and it set their compensation aside from the rest of the federal government. And what that means is DHS can pay for more for cyber talent, leaving other agencies as a, at a competitive disadvantage. I will tell you that there has been so much incoming to OPM on this issue. Uh, the, the, really, the, the, you know, the, the, the inequities that, that exist in, um, in the hiring of cyber and IT talent across federal government, the loss of people from one agency to another, um, it is a true angst um, that we hear from our Chico community. Um, so I will tell you, one of the things that OPM is working on, because um, we do recognize that disadvantage, is we are exploring what's called a special salary rate um, that will basically unify um, and lift up these salaries across the federal government. And we're also going to be launch launching a, a cyber talent strategy um, in the coming year thinking both about pay, position descriptions, flexibilities, and other things tied into it. Um, Jason Bark, who is here today, is a part of that effort if you have any questions. But it really is an acknowledgement of the challenges we have in competing for these positions. Let me end with um, what I think is the big elephant in the room right now, which is how we're thinking about telework and remote work across our organizations. We're, of course, seeing far more telework and remote work to recruit new talent, and we're seeing a lot of variation across government. Um, I will tell you here, uh, there is uh, a lot of inconsistency among leadership, uh, and we are also have employees who are doing what we call in the legal world forum shopping, where they are finding the agency that has the most flexible work schedules um, and the more flexible uh, 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 of how they're thinking about telework and remote work. Um, and so for one of these things that, you know, we're spending a lot of time on is we're realizing, obviously, that you can attract top talent. It's not always going to be about pay. It's about figuring out, uh, and for them, and for many of them, it is both the financial and emotional advantage of being, 
being able to have the flexibility to work from wherever. I don't have to tell you what those advantages are, um, and we can certainly uh, go through kind of the pros and cons. But what I will tell you is that OPM is really leading in this effort around hybrid work. Uh, and you know, we're setting up a, uh, a number of different efforts. Over the past couple of years, we've provided an enormous amount of training and tools to help with performance management and engaging employees in the hybrid work environment. Um, and we're also uh, going to be providing a lot of this training for free very soon um, because we know what's important is how are we not just managing for performance, but how are we thinking about engagement? How are we cre creating opportunities for collaboration? How are we ensuring that our managers and supervisors are set up for success? We've created a Future of Work website, um, and we'll continue to do this work around tools and resources, as well as studies on what does it mean um, to be thinking about the future of work, as well as what we need from all of you in our engagement with stakeholders is how we're thinking about changes we need to make from the regulatory side and also the legislative side when it comes to our telework law. So I know I threw a lot at you. Um, it was really my opportunity to do a little bit of a brain dump on all the things that OPM is engaged in. Um, I want you to know that we're here. I've spent you know, the past year working to rebuild this agency from what we inherited. Um, and we are ready and primed um, to do the work that's required to really set up the federal government for success, to partner with all of you um, in ways that I know are going to lead to uh, the kind of uh, customer service, um, the kind of ways we want to deliver on mission. Um, and so please know that OPM is committed um, uh, to the future of work and the future of the federal workforce um, that I know Robin Carnahan ins insists that is happening right now. The director of OPM, Kieran Ahuja, at ACT-IAC's ELC 2022. You can find a link to watch the video of her entire speech at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you don't want to miss a show, you can subscribe and get the show every weekday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your shows and on any device you get your shows. And if you really like the Daily Scoop podcast, leave us a five-star rating and a review. It'll help more people find the show. The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney and Carlin Fisher helped me put the show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The Daily Scoop podcast returns tomorrow. Until then, I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. <laughs>